9th this morning. And if you're here, and that difference has never been made in your life. It can't be before you leave here today, amen? We're an official representative here, you know? Uh, we're official representatives of the Lord, and we'd love to make sure you know him and make sure that you understand that the way has been paid, uh, the way has been cleared, and the opportunity is yours today like it was mine many years ago. Good to see you this morning and looking forward to opening God's Word at the book of Matthew this morning, book of Matthew chapter 5, and uh, I have a little bit of voice issue today, and I'm not sure if it's the devil or just the weather, okay, or it could be the devil using the weather. Um, but uh, my Sunday school class uh, heard me squeak and scratch through that. But thank the Lord, I got a little bit of breath left and try to get the message out today. Matthew chapter 5, when you're there, if you'll go ahead and stand, if you can, in honor of the reading of God's word, <clears throat> let me say right quick, thank you to everyone who had a part in Bible school. Uh, I know that not everybody uh, that had a part was up here on the stage. A lot of people behind the scenes, working out in the lobby, registering kids, running buses. Uh, I appreciate that. I know you had a part in every soul that was saved. And I just had great fellowship with that this week. And appreciate the bakers working so hard to write that and get all of that together. And looking forward to next year. Uh, if you ever want to be a part of something fun at church, amen, uh, VBS is a great opportunity to be a part of that. And uh, see the bakers, and we'll get that lined out for next year. Matthew chapter 5, <clears throat> and if you would, turn to chapter 4. Turn back to just, uh, we're going to look at a couple of verses there, and then segue into chapter number 5. <clears throat> Matthew chapter 4, where we have the beginning of where Christ is about to call his disciples. And we know this passage well, but I need it to connect with what we're going to preach on in chapter 5 this morning. So if you would, go to verse 19. Uh, Matthew chapter 4, verse 19. <coughs> Excuse me. The Bible says, and he saith unto them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Notice that key part there where it says, I will make you. Uh, now, I don't know in the disciples' mind what they were thinking about when this was going to take place, uh, but it was going to be way sooner than later. Uh, if you go on down, the Bible says in verse 23, Jesus went about all Galilee teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing all manner of sickness and all manner of disease among the people. Goes on down, verse 25, he's now gathered a crowd. The Bible says, and there followed him great multitudes of people from Galilee and from Decapolis and from Jerusalem and from Judea and from beyond Jordan. So now there's a quite following coming after Jesus. Pick up in verse 1, chapter 5. And seeing the multitudes, he went up into a mountain, and when he was set, his disciples came unto him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, and now we go into the Beatitudes, we'll not read all of those this morning, uh, but this entire chapter is dealing with the Sermon on the Mount. The disciples have been called, he promised to make them. And now he takes them up for some schooling on the mountain. And this morning we're going to look at just a few particular things that he points out to them that I believe will be a blessing to us. But first let's pray and let's ask the Lord to bless. Father, I thank you this morning for your word. Father, I'm so thankful that, Lord, in spite of myself, in spite of my failings, and, Lord, in spite of my unfaithfulness at times, Father, your word is true and you are faithful. And every time we open the pages of this book, you speak to us. Thank you, Father, that it is quick, it's living, it's powerful word of God. Now, we need it to work today. Uh, Father, I can't draw men to you. I can't convict of sin. I do not know the will of God for everybody's life today, but you do. So I pray that you'd speak to us through your word. 
I pray your spirit, Father, would not be quenched today, but would have the liberty, uh, Father, to go up and down each row and each aisle, and Lord, to reach into each heart today and give us leadership in the direction we should go. If there's one lost, help them be saved today, I pray, before it's too late, in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. I want you to think this morning about these disciples. Here they are in Matthew chapter 4. They've been called. And I'll be honest with you, I'm assuming that if I'm in that position, if Jesus comes and he calls me, uh, that when he says, I will make you, I'm probably thinking more in the future, down the road. uh, That, hey, we are just mere fishermen. We are common folk, if you will. And he wants us to become evangelists, preachers, and teachers. That's going to take a little while. And I would have been assuming it would take a long time before they would be there. And yet the Bible says in verse 20, chapter 4, and they straightway left their nets and followed them. And immediately uh, they are thrust into their ministry. Now, first off, just let me let you know this morning, I'm thankful that our Father, he knows how to make us into what we are not to do what he's calling us to do. I'm thankful for that. I know of ourselves we are incapable Regardless of our intelligence this morning, we can do nothing without him. Regardless of our experience this morning, we can do nothing without him. But he knows exactly what is needed to make us into what we need to be. Now, think about these men. Think about the great contrast of employment that has just happened. They have gone from being fishermen and catching fish as their trade to now becoming what is virtually evangelists, full-time evangelists. Here we go, from being fishermen to becoming evangelists literally in the matter of a few moments. Now, I'm thankful that today that's something God's capable of. I'm thankful today uh, that when we have faith in him, for him to do what we can't do of ourselves, that he can make us into what he's calling us to be. Now, I want you to zoom in a little bit closer. When you begin looking at who they are and what he requires of them to be, they're going to have to do a great deal of changing, aren't they? Matter of fact, that's what this Sermon on the Mount is all about. He's about to take them up on this mountain and literally go into a crash course in Christianity 101. He starts off in verse number 3 with the Beatitudes, shows them where his blessings lie. He goes on down, very famous verses, verse 13 and 14, speaks about the witness of what he's called them to do. You keep reading that about their light shining and the word of God being kept, and you just keep on reading about their relationships with others are covered in here and how they're to pursue relationships with mankind and so on and so forth. He continues to tell them what he requires of them. Can you imagine the great deal of change that is being brought to their life in just an instant? That after they have come to know Christ and have put their faith to follow him, the drastic changes that are now being brought about in who they are and what they're going to do. And I want you to pay close attention to that statement. The first thing that changed was who they were. And then he goes into Matthew chapter 5 and tells them the changes of things that they would now do. Now, this is important. That before we can become what God wants us to become, there must be a change of our character and who we are. And then when who we are changes, what we do changes. You can't get the cart ahead of the horse. Sometimes in religion, that's what we teach in religion. Charles Spurgeon says, holiness is not the way to Christ, but Christ is the way to holiness. 
That means we come to know Christ and have a personal relationship with him, and then our life begins to change. Don't try to change your life in order to be sufficient to have a relationship with Christ. It's not of works. You will never do it. 2 Corinthians 5.17 spells it out very clearly for us. The Bible says, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. So stop right there. The Bible says there's first a changing of the creature. He is a new creature. That's the change in who we are. And then the Bible says, old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. So often I fear in the religions of our world, we try to change all these things first. The Bible says that what needs to happen first is for a man to be in Christ. That means when who we are changes, then what will follow is what we do will change. I think that's the reason we have so many in church who can't seem to get it together and get it figured out is there's never been a time and a place where they've trusted Christ and who they are hasn't changed. That's why what they do hasn't changed. There's got to be a change of life before there is a change of lifestyle. I want you to notice something about these men this morning that I believe is of the utmost importance. As they follow Christ in faith, their life continually changes. The faith that they put in Christ in verse 20, you say, where's their faith? Is verse 20. They straightway left their nets and followed him. It was at that moment, in that instant, that they put their faith in Christ. And immediately after putting their faith in Christ, their life begin to change. By the way, that's still the pattern. That when we put our faith in Christ and we seek to follow him, immediately changes begin to take place in our life. Here's the problem I believe today. I believe the problem in America is the church, the saved people, by the way, I believe that's where the problem lies this morning. That our faith hasn't affected us enough yet. It's affected our eternity and where we are going, but it hasn't affected us enough to change the things we are doing. Listen to me. These disciples are the first examples we have of people putting their faith in Christ. And then suddenly their life drastically being changed. And I believe this morning therein lies the problem in our country. that We have faith and we're following Christ, but we're not allowing our faith to affect change in our life. We're not allowing it to change us. There's a story of a young boy. He was growing up in West Virginia, <clears throat> back in the hollows of West Virginia. If you've ever been there, that is a different place. Uh, my, my dad my mom took us on a mission trip years ago uh, to the hollows of Raccoon, Kentucky, up around the Kentucky, West Virginia areas up in there. And those folks up there, they're super kind, but they're different. And they probably say that about us too, all right? Uh, we're different in our own way here in South Mississippi as well. But little boy growing up there in the hollows of Kentucky and West Virginia, and <clears throat> excuse me, it was his job to salt the meat when his dad would bring it in from hunting. Uh, no refrigerators or electricity up there. When we were preaching up there, <clears throat> excuse me, and I apologize for my voice. When we were preaching up there, uh, people came to our, our services barefooted. Overalls, grown adults. I mean, there were folks up there who, who had lived in those mountains, had never been to school. I mean, a quite rural population there and no electricity at this time. And when this boy's dad would bring in meat from hunting, it was his job to take it out to the smokehouse and begin salting the meat. Uh, I've never done that. I've tasted salt pork, but I have never salted the meat before. Maybe some of you have, have done that, maybe an experience of your life. It was his job to rub salt all over the meat, and they would hang it up there in the smokehouse in order to preserve it so that they would have that meat later. 
Folks, this is very important. I want you to think about this. One day, the young man had went to the smokehouse to get some meat that mom had asked for, and he brings out this slice of meat. I don't know what it was, and laid it there on the table and immediately headed out of the kitchen, and his mother squealed and screamed real loud. The boy ran back in the kitchen to see what was going on, and mom says, look, and they began looking at that piece of meat. And that meat, part of it was rotting. It was putrid and stinking, and I won't go into great detail, but it was not fit to eat. And mom looked at the little boy, and she says, son, you see that mess that is there, that stink that is there, that rot that is there? And the boy says, yes, and she said these words, not enough salt, not enough salt. Folks, I don't have to convince you today that our world stinks and is rotting. And there's so many putrid things about our country today that, that is detestable to us and turns our nose and it's just sour to even look at or imagine. Can we just echo the words of that mom this morning? Not enough salt. Not enough salt. You see, that salt is a preservative. That salt, as you look in the Matthew chapter 5, which the Bible says we are in verse 13, that salt is there to influence and preserve the meat that is there from rotting. Here's the problem. <clears throat> there wasn't enough influence, and that's why the meat rotted. We look at our country today, and our country's rotting. It is putrid. We look at the things that are elevated and celebrated and the things that the Bible says should be abhorred. And we look at this state that we're in today and we complain about what's going on in our country. And yet, can I tell you what the problem is? Not enough salt. Not enough influence in our country. And who is the influence? Look at verse 13. <coughs> the Bible says, ye are the salt of the earth. He's telling his disciples that their faith should have an influence on the world in which they live. And that message is just as clear today that our faith should have an influence on the world we're living. But here's the problem. How can our faith influence and affect our world when it hasn't influenced and affected us? How can we go to the world and say that Jesus is the only hope for the world and the answer is the word of God when we don't have much hope in our lives and we don't look to the word of God to be our answer either? If our faith is going to affect the world, our faith has first got to affect us. And this morning, that's what I want to preach on for a few minutes. The subject of having an effective faith. In Matthew chapter 5, he begins spelling out for the disciples exactly what their faith should do. Can I tell you this morning, your faith should do something. Your faith is not merely a possession that you have in your heart and a belief that you keep to yourself. Your faith should do something. And if you read Matthew chapter 5, go on to chapter 6, you will see all the things your faith can do. I have to tell you, the faith we have is wonderful. It's quite amazing. The faith that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ and what comes along with that, it gives us capability far beyond ourselves. But I, I'm afraid today that our faith hasn't affected us enough to affect anybody else. And yet there's three things I want to show you in Matthew 5. There's no way we can preach all of this. But I believe the Lord would have us to have an effective faith this morning. And I want to show you what that looks like and how we have it. Notice down, if you will, I want you to go all the way toward the end. Chapter 5, and I want you to look down to verse number 41. <clears throat> and whosoever shall compel thee to go a mile, go with him twain. 
Give to him that asketh thee, and from him that would borrow of thee, turn not thou away. Ye have heard that it hath been said that thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. But watch this. But I say unto you, love your enemies, bless them that curse you, to do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. Watch this. That you may be the children of your father which is in heaven, for he maketh his son to rise on the evil and on the good and sendeth rain on the just and on the unjust. Now here's what I want you to notice. <clears throat> he is giving them a literal list in the Sermon on the Mount of the change that needs to take place in their life. He says, ye have heard this, but I say unto you. He says, from now on, the change in your life is going to be based on what I say. Now listen to me this morning. Having great faith is wonderful. I hope you have great faith. But great faith is only as good as what it's in. And this morning our faith has to be in something that really matters. Because in the end, listen to me, in the end, because of who Christ is, is the only reason that we have the capability to do what our faith is placed in. All right, we can have faith all day long, but if it were not for Christ, we would not be able to do anything that Matthew chapter 5 speaks of. So I want you to notice, number one, this morning, an effective faith reflects the influence of Christ. An effective faith reflects the influence of Christ. Now, I'm going to explain it to you. Jesus says here, ye have heard in verse 43 that it hath been said, but verse 44, but I say unto you. Now, this is important, but it's very simple. I need you to stick with me. He says, I'm making some changes in your life. And those changes in your life are going to reflect my influence in your life. You see, this is the tragedy this morning that we get saved and we have faith. And the problem is, watch this, we don't allow the changes in our life to be the necessary witness we need to reflect the fact that we've had influence in our life by the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, it's the changes that he wants to make in our life that shows other people we have been spending time with him. Now, here they are. Here, <clears throat> excuse me. Here's the disciples going up on this mountain. They're spending time with Jesus. And Jesus begins spelling out for them the changes that are coming into their life. And the reason those changes are important is that's going to show everybody that Christ had influence in their life. By the way, that's the only reason any of us get to change in the first place. Because of Christ. There was a woman at the well, John 4, we know the story. She comes back, and what does she say in verse 29? Listen close. She says, come see a man. Come see a man. She says, there's this change in my life. I'm not who I used to be. I'm now telling folks about Christ, and it's all because of a man. And I want you to meet that man, because that man is the one who influenced my life and brought about the change in my life. Now, folks, listen to me. If we're going to have an effective faith in our life, at some point, our life needs to reflect that Jesus has brought about change in us. Our problem is we get saved and our eternal destinations change. I'm thankful I'm on my way to heaven. But that does me good. It's the change in your life that other people can see. Oh, that's the change that affects other people. And I don't need my faith just to affect me. I need my faith to affect other people. That's why he left me here to be a light. That's why he left me here to be salt. Why? To influence. But wait a minute. If Christ can't influence you, how are you going to influence anyone else? 
Think about the change that Christ brought into these men's lives. He changed their occupation. He changed their education. And he changed their destination. All of these changes that took place. Why? It was because of the influence of Christ. Acts chapter 26. Here's King Agrippa and Paul's preaching to him. Paul has gone from someone who King Agrippa really would have agreed with at one point. To someone who is now preaching the gospel that he sought to destroy. Agrippa says, I want to hear your story. So Paul begins telling him the story. And he says this in verse 15 of chapter 26 of the book of Acts. He said, I was laying on the ground and I asked, who art thou, Lord? And he says, I am Jesus. Paul says, Agrippa, can I tell you that the change in my life has come about because of the influence of Jesus Christ in my life? I'm so afraid today that we haven't allowed Christ to influence enough change in our life to actually help bring about change in somebody else's life. If we want to have an effective faith, number one, this morning, understand that it's one that reflects the influence of Christ in our life. Acts chapter 11, verse 26, the Bible says the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. Now, it's amazing. All throughout Scripture, they're called followers. They're called believers. They're called all kinds of things. But at Antioch, they were first called Christians. Christians. The, the suffix at the end of the word Christian, I-A-N, means belonging to or the party of. The people, by the way, it was a derogatory term at first. That they looked at their life at the Christians at Antioch. And they said, those people are of the party of Christ. Those people are in the company of Christ. They are acting like Christ. What was that? It was influence. The Christians at Antioch, their life showed people a resemblance of Christ. Can I tell you, it's one of the greatest compliments you'll ever get. When somebody looks at your life and draws a connection to Christ. That can tell, I see things happening in your life. No, you're not perfect. No, when you get saved, you will never be perfect. But they're watching the change take place. And they're watching how you think differently. And you act differently. And your hobbies are different. Do you know what that change says? It's the influence of Christ in my life. When those disciples came down off of that mountain, they were thinking differently, acting differently. They had a different mission in their life. Why? It was reflecting the influence of Christ in their life. Acts chapter 4, verse 13. The Bible says, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, listen to this, they marveled, the Bible says, and took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. They had been with Jesus. They looked at those ignorant and unlearned men. By the way, there's hope for all of us, right? <laughs> You're like, well, I'm ignorant and I'm unlearned. Doesn't matter, so were they. But they allowed Christ to influence their ignorant and unlearned life. And God used them to bring glory to him. But they had to allow that influence in their life. That's our problem. I believe that's our problem today in the church. I don't believe our faith is going to affect others until it affects us. Now, how do we do that? Now, watch what he says. Look down in verse number 44. He gives them this long list of changes. This is how I want you to think. This is how I want you to act. This is how I want you to live. But watch what he says in verse 44. But I say unto you, love your enemies, bless them that curse you. And he goes on down the line. He says in verse 43, this is what you've heard. But now I say unto you, can I tell you how you let Christ be a changing influence in your life? By living by what I say unto you. Look at verse 44. But I say unto you, 
But I say unto you, do you know the times in my life that I have not been the witness that God's called me to be were times where I was listening to me and not to him? My life, my testimony will affect others and make a difference in their life when I start living by what he said unto me. Not what I think and by what others say. It's amazing when you look at these men and how much change he brought into their life. Their life would be a testimony and a witness all because they just lived by what he said unto them. Folks, this is not, listen, this is not college grade stuff here. If we want to have a faith that affects others, at some point, we've got to start living by what he says. And when we do that, God honors his word and uses our life as a testimony. 1 John 2, 6, the Bible says, he that saith he abideth in him ought himself also to walk even as he walked. Now listen, if we're going to have an effective faith, we've got to walk even as he walked. Now notice it didn't say talk like he talked. We're too good at that. We're too good at that. I'm too good at that. We know all the catchphrases. We know everything to, to say to make people think we're religious. But our words aren't what's going to affect people. What's going to affect people is the influence of Christ in our life, bringing about so much change in our life, a change in the way we think and we act and we treat others. When all of that change takes place, people see it in our life, and then they desire to have what we have. What brought about that? It was Christ. That's the one who made the difference. Here's what I'm afraid of. I read this story a while back about people in India, and there's a phrase they have for people who are counterfeit Christians. They're called rice Christians. The first time I read that, Brother Michael, I'm thinking to myself, a rice Christian? What is that? I actually thought about John R. Rice is what I thought about, but it has nothing to do with that. In India, the American missionaries will come over, and as often as the case, they bring food, and they bring supplies, and they bring medicines. And people want what the American missionaries are giving. And so they will go and get saved all over again in order to get something free. In other words, they will go and they will make a profession in Christ just so they can get some rice from the missionary that is there. I'm afraid that we have a lot of rice Christians in America. You say, why? Because we make a profession, but there's never any change in our life. Listen, if we got what we say we got and what we think we got, sooner or later, the influence of Christ in our life is going to show up in the change that comes about in our life. It's a sad state of the church that we're in today to where our life doesn't reflect any influence of Christ. And yet, here these brand new disciples are. He starts in verse number three and starts to give them a list of all the change and how they should live and how they should think. So number one, an effective faith is one that reflects the influence of Christ. But here's what I want to get for a little while today. If you look down, he gives them something that really has to change that's hard for them. In verse 41, he says that whosoever shall compel thee to go a mile, go with him twain. Now this is specific. I want to see just for a few moments. Jesus is letting them know that the change that needs to come about in their life is not going to be easy. Now, <clears throat> I'm also going to be honest with you on this. I think if I was chosen to be a disciple, I would automatically start thinking about the perks of the job. Wouldn't you? You were chosen to be one of the 12. Look, look, I know we're good Christians here this morning, but you have to admit every one of us would swell up just a little bit if Jesus chose us to be one of the 12. Now, we don't know the end of the story. They're all going to die. <laughs> you know, they didn't know that at the beginning, but they thought, man, this is going to be great. We're going to be one of his 12, one of his inner circle. But wait a minute. He tells them in verse 41, 
it's not going to be easy. As a matter of fact, it's going to be even harder for you. You see, the law said when a Roman soldier would compel you to carry his luggage or his armor or his weaponry that you had to submit to that up to one mile. But watch what he says. He says, I want my people to go two miles. That when you are demanded or compelled to go one, I want you to go even further. Because by going further, you are showing to them who you belong to. Because only my people are going to keep going when it gets difficult and it gets tough. This is the second thing I want you to see today. An effect of faith reflects influence of Christ. But number two, it results in the ability to continue. It results in the ability to continue. If you get any point this morning, I need you to get number two. One of the greatest evidences of an effect of faith is the ability to continue. He says, when you're carrying that Roman's bag or that Roman's armor, and it's heavy, and you've gotten over here and at the end of the first mile, I want you to carry it one more. I want you to keep going. Because by keeping going, that testimony shows who you belong to and who has had the influence in your life. Can I tell you this morning... One of the greatest influences you will have on people is not what you say, not even always by what you do. One of the greatest influences you can have on people is by continuing, by being faithful. Can you imagine a Roman soldier comes up to a Jew and he says, hey, carry my bags, buddy. You got to do it and you know you got to do it. I don't care what you had going on, you got to carry this and I want you to carry it for the mile. And so you carry it for a mile. You get to the, I'm just being honest with you, if I got to the end of it, I would have thrown it on the ground. One mile, you carry it the rest of the way. What a horrible testimony that would have been. Can you imagine the Roman soldier when you get to the end of the mile and he stops and he's getting ready to take it from you and you just keep walking? He's like, wow, he should have animosity toward me. He should be mad at me. And yet now he is carrying it the extra mile. You see, that's what the influence of Christ will do with your life. That when Christ has had an influence in your life and you're, you're carrying that burden, you're carrying that load, by the grace of God, you can just keep on walking. What a testimony. Acts chapter 2, verse 42, the Bible says, they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. One of the greatest witnesses they had there in that early church, you know what they did? They just continued. They just continued. I believe this morning we underestimate the value of keeping going. I told my class today, the greatest influences in my life as a Christian, I can say this unequivocally, were not always the most eloquent, the most knowledgeable. They weren't. They were the people that just kept going. Greatest influences in my life. If I had to list the five greatest Christians in my life right now, I'm not going to do it, but if I were to do that, there are probably people you've never heard of. But the reason they influenced me and their faith affected me is because they just kept going. They didn't stop after the first mile. They just kept going. And I watched them carry loads. And I watched them carry burdens. I watched them under tough situations. I mean, look, the Roman soldiers were not required to be nice. Pick it up, carry it. And I've watched people just faithfully carry loads and bear burdens. And they didn't quit. They just kept on walking. Can I tell you something? Their faith affected me. 
that influence my life. I want what they have in their life. You see, Christ influenced their life so much that now it affects my life. Because they were willing just to keep on going and keep continuing. Don't underestimate the value this morning of just keep going for God. I think about as I get older, I'm not old, okay? The older I get, the more I reflect upon what my life is going to be. I, I told my class today, Ms. Myrtle Altman's funeral the other day, several people had opportunity to speak about her. And one of the things she spoke about or people spoke about of her life was she loved cooking bacon. I thought, that's not too bad. You know, at the end of my life, uh, you know what, I don't mind that, honey, write it down, say that about me, all right? He loved bacon. I don't mind that at all. Brother Lenny said she never parked straight. I told that at the funeral, Brother Lenny. Sorry about that, but I told her that. I didn't tell her who said that, but uh, they're watching live stream. They know now, so uh, just letting you know. But I think about my life and what I'm going to leave behind. And, and sometimes, you know what we, we, we try to think about? I wonder if I said something that was eloquent that people are going to quote me on. We think about that, don't we? Did I leave behind at least one good quote? But it's really not that. Did I, did I do something in my life that I'm going to be remembered for? And I, I hate to tell you, it's not really what you say, and it's not always what you do that was memorable. Could I just encourage you with one, one quick thought? Never underestimate the eloquence of your endurance. It speaks volumes. Never underestimate the eloquence of your endurance. It speaks volumes. There are Christians in here who have gone through way worse of things than I have in my life. That you have no idea I've watched you. Diagnosis, difficulties at the home, deaths, difficulties with children, and I've watched you. And your endurance has spoke volumes to me because when you could have dropped the armor, and you could have given up the load, you just kept walking. You see, number one, when Christ is an influence in your life, can I tell you what happens? It results in the ability to continue. I want you to turn to your right with me right quick to 2 Timothy. I want to, I want to show you something. <clears throat> 2 Timothy, and I want you to look down to chapter 3. I want you to watch what Paul is saying to Timothy here. 2 Timothy chapter number 3. And uh, I'll tell you what, let's start at verse 1. This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. You know what that means? Burdensome times. It goes on to tell you about really the world we're living in right now. If you look down, verse number 10, watch what Paul says. Thou hast fully known my doctrine, my manner, uh, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, charity, patience. Here's what Paul's saying. You know that I just kept going. I kept going. I didn't stop. Verse 12, yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Now watch, watch, watch. This is beautiful. He says, Timothy, you're going to have to carry a load. And you're, you're going to want to drop the load and just quit and give up. But watch what he says. Verse 13. I'm sorry. Verse 14, but continue thou in the things which thou hast learned. Paul says, Timothy, evil men are going to wax worse and worse. Men, the, the world's going to become just a cesspool. You read in chapter 3 all these things. But what is the counsel Paul gives, gives him? He says, but continue. 
You see, because of the influence of Christ in our life, one of the greatest testimonies that we have is we just keep walking. Paul said, Timothy, it's going to get bad. The burdens are going to get heavy. It's going to be tough. But Timothy, keep walking. Don't give up. Folks, I want to tell you, the greatest witness of your life may not be something you say or a monument that you leave behind. The greatest testimony to your children is you just keep walking. Mom and dad, just keep walking. When it gets tough, keep walking. When things get difficult, keep walking. Why? That's the testimony of a child of God that we can go the second mile. I pray this morning that that's the testimony we all leave behind, whether they quote us or not, whether it's a statue or not. I want you to think about what Paul was telling Timothy. He says, you're going to have experiences that want to cause you to stop. Difficulty. But because of the influence in your life, Timothy, keep going. Understand this. The greatest rivalry to your faith is going to be the experiences you have. You're going to experience stuff that's going to rival your faith. But if the influence of Christ in your life is what it ought to be, it will bring about a change in your life where you just keep walking. Now I want you to think about this person here in, in, in verse 41. In verse 41, here's this guy. I don't know what his plans were that day. He's going about his business, and all of a sudden, maybe he's going to the market, and this soldier comes up and says, hey, hey, carry my bag. Now whatever that man had planned is now out the window. Whatever his wife, maybe she had him going to get some groceries, he could have been on the way to the daycare to pick up the kids. It didn't matter anymore. It was an unexpected interruption in his life. But can I tell you, as a Christian, regardless of the unexpected interruptions that come in our life, we can just keep walking. All right, this wasn't planned. This was not expected. Do you know, no matter what he was carrying, that Roman soldier would put another load on top of him and says, okay, you carry this too. It didn't matter. Hey, with the influence of Christ in his life, he could keep walking. We have unexpected interruptions in our life, unexpected burdens in our life, but by the grace of God and the influence of Christ, we just keep walking. Why? Because that's what our God can do for us this morning. James chapter 5, I'll give you this in the last point. Behold, we count them happy which endure. Ye have heard of the patience of Job. You ever have a light bulb moment? I asked the kids at VBS this week. You ever have a light bulb moment? Light bulb just kind of comes on momentarily and goes back off later, but it comes on for a moment. Yeah, mine stays off. It's what he doesn't say in James 5.11. He didn't say you've heard of the intelligence of Job. You say you've heard of the experience of Job. It's called the patience of Job. Do you know what the influence of Job's life is on you and I to this day? He just kept walking. He just kept walking. Unexpected interruptions in Job's life. Your children are dead. Your property is gone. Watch this. And his wife says, curse God and die. Job just kept walking patience of Job. He kept walking. You have no idea this morning, Christian, how much your testimony involves just keep going, keep walking. Galatians 6, 9, be ye not weary in well-doing, the Bible says. Don't be weary in well-doing. Why? Because Christ gives us the ability to continue. Finally, I want to give you something good before we go. I feel like you're with me, all right? You paying attention? Everybody with me? If you look down to verse number 48, I want to show you the last thing in chapter 5 he gave them. 
An effective faith is one that reflects the influence of Christ. An effective faith results in the ability to continue. Because of Christ's influence in my life, I can continue. And then finally, watch what it does. Verse 48, he tells them, be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. So not only did Christ require them to continue, keep walking. I, I know it's heavy, keep walking. I know it's twice as far, keep walking. Not only did Christ want them to continue, but if you notice verse 48, he wanted them to complete the course that he's laying out for them. One of the greatest evidences of an effective faith is this kind of faith finishes. That's why number three, notice, it requires the endurance to complete. It requires the endurance to complete. You want an effective faith that not only affects your life, but the rest of the world around you. You've got to have the endurance to complete the will of God for your life. So watch what happens with faith. I love this. First, it affects them. It brings about change in their life. Then it enables them to continue on as a testimony of what he's doing in their life. But then it will carry them all the way to the end to where they're complete. Folks, these men were not getting on board with a fad. Sometimes I believe that's what faith is. Sometimes it's just a fad. Why? Because we're only on board as long as things are going good. And then we jump off. He says here, be therefore perfect. That means complete, even as your Father, which is in heaven, is perfect. I mean, if you want to be a testimony to somebody, hey, let's strive toward the completion, the finished will of God for our life. Let's let him bring about the change in our life that ultimately helps people see Jesus in us. Isn't that what Romans 8 is talking about? Conforming to the image of his Son. That when people look at me, here's our problem, it's incomplete. And today I walked out of the house. I was in a rush. I forget where I was going. And uh, dad, dad raised me to uh, tuck your shirt in and wear a belt, okay? Uh, that's the way he raised me. That's the way I still do. And uh, I, 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 I don't mind it at all. The other day I ran out the door and I'm going down the road. And all of a sudden I realized that I didn't have my belt on. And look, I'm, I'm an 80s American guy, okay? I still had a little, uh, some testosterone in there. I know we're breeding it out of them. But I, still, I just couldn't stand it. I felt undressed without my belt on. Number one, I was afraid my dad was going to see me out in town. I don't know if he could whoop me. I'm 43 years old, but I don't want to find out. I felt incomplete. I had to go back and put my belt on. Why? I didn't feel complete. I didn't have it all together. Now, folks, as a child of God, you ought to get to a place in your life where you're unsatisfied being incomplete. We have paused the change in our life. We got saved, he changed our destination, and he wants to keep bringing about change in our life. And yet we're like, no, I'm done. Oh, no, we're not. There's none of us done until we stand before God. We ought to continue to let the influence of Christ in our life enable us to do what we couldn't do outside of him. That's why this morning it's important we have endurance to complete. Colossians 2.9, I'll hurry, and I think my voice is about done. The Bible says, for in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And ye are complete in him. Ye are complete in him. Can I tell you, you're not going to have much of an effect of faith if you don't have the endurance to complete it. You've got to have endurance. Watch. He wants to change you. He wants to enable you. And then he wants to help you get all the way to the end of what he was desiring to do in your life. But here's the problem. 
you're the one that's got to have that faith. You've got to trust him to do it. He takes these boys up on the mountain. He says, all right, here's Christianity 101. He goes to the Beatitudes. He goes to their witness and their relationship. And he shows them all that what they can do because of him. Can I tell you, there's no excuse for them to be without. There's no excuse for us to be incomplete today. No excuse. There's no reason this morning that we should not continue to be moving forward and having the change that Christ wants to bring to our life. The problem is we hold him off. We don't let him change us. I told our class this morning, uh, there are times in my life, to be totally honest with you, I would like to say, Lord, I, I feel like I'm good where I'm at. I feel like I'm good where I'm at. You ever feel that way? God, I, God, I don't want you to bring any more change in my life. God, I'm good. You know? But you know, when God brings change into our life, it makes a difference in our life. It means he's preparing us for his will. And to be better at his will in our life. I even told somebody the other day, I had a brief moment of insanity. Okay? You're like, really? Only one? No. In a brief moment, I was able to thank God even for difficult times. Because it's God investing in us to refine us, to be used of him in a greater way. Oh, I want to get to the place where I'm like Paul, where I glory in my infirmities. Why? God's changing me to be more like him. I'm not there yet. I still complain and gripe about my difficulties. I don't like it. I don't enjoy it. But oh, the fact that my father wants to continually change my life. Why? Because if he can change my life, then God will use my life to help change somebody else's. Question this morning before we close. Do you have an effective faith? Do you have an effective faith? Has it affected you so much that it's affecting others? Has God's hand in working in your life brought about so much change in your life that other people wonder and marvel what is going on in their life? The Roman soldiers of the world, are they watching you at your workplace and wondering why is he going the second mile? I know the burdens that they carry. I know the difficulty. I know how much they must hate going through what they're going through. And yet that person is, keep, is keeping walking. He's keeping moving. I want what he has. This morning you can have an effective faith, but it begins with the influence of Christ in your life. Are you allowing Christ to bring about the change that he brought about in the lives of these who lived long before us but set an example for us? You're here this morning, you've never trusted Christ as your Savior. Oh, the change that he could bring. Oh, the good change he could bring. It all goes back to that one word, faith. You've got to be willing to put your faith and trust in what Jesus has done for you. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed this morning. Let's stand to our feet, heads.